News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 704-570-1110-1800-WBT-1110. 1110, and you can email Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. Get the podcast at WBT.com. And hit me up on Twitter at Pete Callender. Okay. So we've been talking about the North Carolina race for U.S. Senate. And Ted Budd, all the polling uh, shows that uh, he is leading Pat McCrory now by about, uh, well, any, uh, by, by about 10 points or so. It's pretty, it, it, he's, he's starting to pull away, it looks like. it's. Uh, but there's still a third of the population that was polled. These are likely GOP primary voters. They are still undecided. And Mark Walker, who's in third, he's down by, I mean, he's in like the single digits. And he knows this, obviously. He's at like 7%. But he's hoping that he can make up a lot of ground with that undecided group of voters. And so, uh, well, let me do this. I'll jump over here. He was on, go back to the audio. He was on this morning with Bo Thompson and Beth Troutman. Good morning, BT, uh, right here on News Talk 1110 WBT. And so he was talking about how Ted Budd isn't agreeing to get on the debate stage despite these sort of hints that, oh, yeah, we're interested in debating, and, oh, no, we can't do that one. Oh, we don't like that outlet. We don't like that person. And there's always an excuse. And I, as a voter, I intend to vote in the GOP primary, I believe, um, at this point. I would very much appreciate seeing how he performs on a debate stage and to, to you know, do battle in the, in the arena of ideas. And so uh, Walker says, like this, he makes this prediction. He says, Ted Budd is not going to debate us at any point. His handlers do not want him on that stage. That's what Walker said today with Bo and Beth. Question, uh, any contact between you and McCrory, the, the governor's campaign, or Marjorie Eastman? I know that's usually not a, an obvious question when you're in the middle of a primary, but, I mean, I've talked to you before, and I've also talked to McCrory about you all being in the room that day where they made the announcement about Bud being endorsed, endorsed by Trump, mm-hmm. and it was a surprise uh, to, to you all. So I'm curious, when something like this happens, like a deal trying to get done uh, to try to consol- consolidate support, uh, any correspondence between you and McCrory just sort of uh, you know trading notes about, you know, can you believe this happened? Or what do you think about this being offered? Well, we're all, I mean, we see each other on the debate stage. In fact, last night, both McCroy and Eastman, um, we participate in our sixth forum. In fact, I have won all six forums that I've participated in, uh, including the other opponents being there. Uh, but as far as talking about some of the backroom deals that are going on, specifically the amount of dark money, you think about this. It's the most dark money that's ever been spent in a Senate primary race, Republican or Democrat, has been spent on Mr. Bud, uh, and, and they're going to continue to to spend these millions of dollars. And the question that I have to ask, when you get to Washington D.C., where is your allegiance? Right. Is it the people that you ask for their vote, or is it the people that spent fourteen or fifteen million dollars on you? Now you've you've been in Washington. You've served in Congress. What? Why isn't more being done to actually change some of the rules for campaign financing to get some of this dark money out of there? I mean, why aren't people doing more to make this process uh, more on the up and up? It's it's because they don't want to make the changes. They directly benefit from it. It's very rare that you have somebody running in a national campaign that says, I'm not taking the D.C. dark money. 
I think it's very important because you're allowing millions of dollars coming straight from Washington, D.C. to try and buy a U.S. Senate seat, specifically this primary seat. And I think as we get going these next five weeks, I think people are going to start paying attention to some of this and say, you know, if you think about it, 80 percent of the people know that Trump has endorsed Ted Budd, but he's only polling at 30 percent. Thirty five percent are undecided. This race is still up for grabs. Mm -hmm. And I think these next five weeks, along with Mm -hmm. Mr. Budd not being allowed to show up for the debates, is going to be impactful. All right. So that was uh, Mark Walker this morning with Bo and Beth. On Good Morning BT, I mentioned earlier the NC Values Coalition. They came out and endorsed Ted Budd today, which was kind of surprising to me because I thought maybe Mark Walker would have been a more closely aligned candidate. But they got around that, I think, by saying it's down to a two man race, basically. And they then went after Pat McCrory and they some of the stuff they said there didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, And then I got a message, I will not say from whom, but I got a message here and says, I get your opinion about NC Values Coalition. I'll say that lawmakers had to twist Pat's arm pretty hard to get some abortion clinic and other pro-life bills through. He got pushback from Dr. Vosh. Remember her? She was uh, Alana Vosh. She was the um, uh, Health and Human Services Secretary. Uh, so he got pushback from Dr. Vosh to stymie the legislation. What uh, what put Pat and Vosh in a stand-down position was the Catholic News Herald reporting of repeated ambulance calls to a Charlotte clinic. That forced DHHS to inspect and then close the clinic. The reporter called uh, as uh, they began pushing the uh, the clinic bill. The news was perfect timing for our uh, clinic inspection bill. Pat had to sign it because the inspection history of all of the clinics then came to light. Um, And Pat did sign the 2015 pro-life bills. But that may be why the Values Coalition attacked him. Because they pressured him hard in 2015. And uh, the consensus was that Secretary Vosch was steering Pat away from the issue. But... Now, to his credit, he signed the bills, including the bill that was the 72-hour waiting period for abortions. And and then he got he got the protesters out at the mansion, right? He gets heckled even to this day. To this day, he gets heckled and abused and accosted out at uh, stores and restaurants, just people just walking by him and just cuss him out. For for those for for signing those bills. Now you can throw that all away. You could say, oh, he he ran for the job, and you know that's what you asked for. And I understand that. I agree. That doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make it easy. And if and if you don't understand, most people do not understand this. I kind of do. I kind at a personal level, I kind of do. Anytime I am outside of my house or this studio. I am always expecting somebody to come up to me. Always. You have to. its I'll tell you, it's a heck of a way to live. And people who don't live like that don't know it. And, it, and like, if you're super, super famous, you can hire the security guards and all that. And, like, and, and you kind of, 
you get so famous that you probably move in sort of uh, rarefied air, right? But then again, I see that was a People magazine stars. They're just like us. Here they are walking to yoga, whatever. Um, for me, it's like somebody, like some random person in some random situation is maybe going to recognize my voice if I speak and then realize, oh, that's that crazy right-wing radio host. I'm going to go attack him or go uh, accost him while he's eating dinner, that sort of thing. You just, you never know. And so, I don't know, the fact that he signed the bills, I maybe that could have bought a little bit less of a sharp tongue from the people that demanded he sign your bills. I don't know. It's, just me. <laughs> maybe maybe I'm too soft and nice for the rough and tumble world of primary politics. <laughs> News Talk 1110-993 WBT. The Pete Callender show. WRAL's Democrat with a byline, Travis Fain, says news that North Carolina's anti-abortion lieutenant governor paid for an abortion in 1989 did not change people's opinion much about the first term official based on the results of a WRAL news poll that was released yesterday. I believe this is part of the polling package that WRAL doesn't tell us the methodology nor provide the crosstabs for. But I love the way Travis writes this up. Travis is bad, 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 bad at hiding his opinions. Because he's not quite sure you're smart enough to understand that he's smart and more virtuous than you. So he has to kind of, you know, beat you in the face with his adjective selection lest you be confused as to where he stands on a particular issue. For example, in that very first sentence, North Carolina's anti-abortion lieutenant governor paid for an abortion. Right. That's part of, but that's part of his story. It's part of his redemption story. It's part of what led him to Christ and to ask for forgiveness and to change his life. And so the fact that you even put the question into the field indicates your bias because you assumed people would charge him with hypocrisy because you're anti-abortion now. So therefore you must have always been anti-abortion. Not necessarily. I mean, I understand if you're beating the drum against abortion and then you go pay for one. I could see that being a more potent charge. I don't see it being a potent charge the other direction though. He then goes on to say, those who supported Republican Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson largely continued to do so after accounting for the abortion news last month. In some cases, Robinson saw his support increase among people who had previously said they didn't even have an opinion of him, <laughs> which is what I said would happen, Travis. I said that was going to happen. Do you know Christians? Have you met one? He claims to be one. Again, he's of the virtue signaling mob. So he he's always talking about over the weekends, if you follow him on Twitter, you'll see he's got, you know, biblical passages. And he always tries to make some sort of like erudite point. Like, oh, I just wonder if some people might benefit from this scripture reading today. He says stuff like that. Jim Blaine, a Republican consultant in North Carolina who reviewed the poll results, said, if anything, I think it was kind of a positive. 
That was the thing that was interesting to me. I mean, if anything, it looked like it helped him with Republicans, a surprising amount, right? Because it's a story about the thing that led him to his change of heart. It led him to this place of seeking forgiveness and redemption, which is kind of the whole point of Christianity, right? I remember seeing the story when WRAL and the News Observer and the Democrats, but I repeat myself, they were amplifying this, and they really wanted this thing to stick. It's like any any scandal that a Republican gets involved in. This is why they play the defender disavow game. They throw it at the Republicans. They're like, well, you need to say something about this. Uh-huh. Because all it is is this game of hypocrisy, and all that is designed to do is to undermine support for you. That, oh, you're a Republican. Oh, you have a colleague who didn't act like a Christian, and so you're a Christian, and so you need to condemn that guy. And if you don't, that makes you a hypocrite, and that means you should get thrown out of office because you stink. You're a hypocrite. See, so if I just go into office with zero standards, then I'm okay? Then I can avoid the charge of hypocrisy when someone else does something that is against what I said I'm for? No, 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 because Donald Trump is a perfect example of that. They didn't, I think that's why they didn't know how to handle Trump, because here's a guy who was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, you know, had all sorts of affairs with playmates and stuff. I mean, he just he he had no shame and they couldn't use any of that against him. And it broke people. It broke their brains, I think. So Robinson won the lieutenant governor's office in 2020, easily besting a crowded GOP primary field, despite it being his first run for elected office. He then beat State Representative Yvonne Hawley in the general election. Robinson, a Christian who starts speeches by thanking Jesus. <gasps> no. A Christian who starts his speeches by thanking Jesus. He has repeatedly made homophobic comments. There you go. That's an example of Travis's opinion. Homophobic comments that automatically projects onto Robinson a motive that he's operating out of fear that Robinson is afraid of gay people. Robinson's not, have you heard the guy talk? That man does not seem to be afraid of much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just, I've, I've only spoken with him uh, maybe two times. He does not strike me as a guy who's afraid of gay people. Just throwing that out there. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here for about another half hour. And, uh, hey, how about how about that inflation? Man, that's some good stuff going on, right? Higher the better, right? Isn't that the deal? Right? Oh, no. Oh, no, the opposite. Oh, that's not good then. Oh, that's not good. Prices that consumers pay on everyday items. So us. I love how the... Prices that consumers, this is CNBC story. Consumers pay. Yeah, yeah, consumers, yes, people. People pay this. Yes, we are consumers, but we are people. I almost wonder if this is a way they try to kind of distance the, you know, the information from the fact that you're getting screwed. So they're not, they're not wanting to, they're not wanting to say you, right? Prices that consumers pay on everyday items surged in March to their highest levels 
since the early days of the Reagan administration. So literally, like, I have no recollection of this in my life. This is so far in the past. I was in, I wasn't even in kindergarten at this point. The Consumer Price Index, which measures a wide-ranging basket of goods and services, jumped 8.5% from a year ago. That is above even the already elevated Dow Jones estimate of 8.4. So they were predicting 8.4, and it beat the expectation. It came in at (laughs) 8.5. Excluding food and energy, which nobody uses those, so let's take those out of the equation. And then the CPI increased 6.5%, which that is in line with the expectation. See, so it hit that expectation. So we can all take comfort and we can all be assured that the uh, the reason for the excessive increase, the unexpected increase, was due to a higher than expected surge in the price of food and energy, which, again, nobody uses. So... It's like it doesn't even affect us, really. The data reflected price increases not seen in the U.S. since the stagflation days of the late 1970s and early 80s. March's headline reading, in fact, was the highest since December 1981. Okay, so I lied. In 81, I was, um... Oh, I just turned, I just turned, um, eight. I was eight years old. And I got to tell you, at eight, I was not really following the economic news. So core inflation was the hottest since August 1982. I don't think that's a great sentence. Core inflation was the hottest. They make it sound like it's something. Maybe it's, well, maybe they're trying to tie into August 1982 because it's summer, get it, it's hot, maybe, I don't know. Due to the surge in inflation, real earnings, despite rising 5.6% from a year ago, still are not keeping pace with the cost of living. Interesting. So it's kind of like we're losing money, isn't it? No, it's exactly like we're losing money. That's why they call inflation the hidden tax. Food rose 1% for the month, 8.8% over the year. Prices for uh, goods like rice, ground beef, Citrus fruits and fresh vegetables all posted gains of more than 2% in March alone. Energy prices are up 11%. 32% respectively as gas prices popped 18.3% uh, for the month. I know I'm giving a lot of numbers here, but the key takeaway here is uh, let's go, Brandon. That's the key takeaway here. Don't get, don't get sidetracked with the percentages. Shelter costs. Who needs that, really, right? We'll just all move to California, live out on the sidewalks. Shelter costs make up about a third of the CPI weighting. So in their formula, they they weight different uh, uh, factors. And shelter makes up about a third of it. That went up about half a percent. The 12-month gain is 5%. Shelter costs, sheltering costs, housing, basically, right? 5% in a year. One sector that's been a major driver in the inflation burst subsided a bit in March. Used car and truck prices declined for uh, 3.8%. Oh, so thank goodness. Used car and truck prices went down. So if you look at it compared to last year, that means it's only up 
Oh, thank God it came down at about 4%. The declines, however, are offset by gains in clothing, services that exclude energy and medical care, because who uses those? Um, Transportation services also rose. In a sign of economic recovery, though, from a sector hard hit during the pandemic, airline fares jumped by almost 11%. That's a sign of the improving economy when the ticket price for the planes go up? Some of these people who are giving these stats and reporting on them have very different ideas about what's good economic news and what is not good economic news. So look at the bright side, everybody. And a sign the economy is recovering, it costs you more to fly. What? Here are the biggest inflation spikes. Fuel oil, 70%. Gas, 48%. Used cars, 35%. Hotels, 29%. Airfare, 24%. Utility gas, 22%. Bacon, 18%. Oranges, 18%. Furniture, 16%. Beef, 16%. New cars. I actually heard this morning uh, Beth and Bo and Jim Zoki, they were talking about um, the uh, car prices. So my wife and I, Christy's car uh, basically is like breaking down. It was, it was breaking down. It wasn't starting right and all this. And this was a couple months ago. And so we we started looking around and we had always bought our cars from CarMax. We bought multiple, multiple cars from CarMax. Before we even met each other, we were buying our cars from CarMax. And I saw what was going on with the used car market. And I said, well, all the advice is go buy a new car because the used car prices are so close to the new car prices. You might as well get the new car for like an extra $2,000 or something. So I go onto a couple different websites. Hey, build your, you know, whatever car. And so I, I build my car. And then I start getting just, you know, spammed by every single uh, uh, dealership rep. Oh, I heard you were looking for a car and I got your car. And I start getting all of these emails and text messages and they're for used cars. Oh, I saw you were building a Nissan Rogue. Well, here's a 2020 Nissan Rogue. That doesn't meet all of your <laughs> doesn't meet all of your build uh, requirements. Like, well, and uh, the first one I got, I even realized it, and I started writing the guy back, and then I saw, wait a minute, this is a two year, three year old car. What, what's going on here? And he's like, Yeah, we can't. We 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 have no idea what kind of cars we're getting in. This is how much of a mess it is. So then we went back to CarMax and we actually got a used car that was like two years old, 9,000 miles on it for like, I think, 25 grand. That's why we're big fans of CarMax. They're paid to move units, not, um, not price. We like, we like CarMax. So today, long, long time ago, like 246 years ago, I want to say, at the meeting of the 4th Provincial Congress, North Carolina's assembly authorized her delegates, I guess that's her pronoun, I I, I don't know, just 
North Carolina's assembly authorized her delegates to the Continental Congress to vote for independence. That was today. Today is the Halifax Resolves Day in North Carolina, which is, I know, it's not a really great name for a holiday, but it's a day worth noting. And honestly, it really should be a day that more is done for, I think. It's one of the things, when we talk about losing culture wars, this is one of them. Constitution Day is another one of those days. And they can be, they can be fun days. We could, you know, there, there needs to be an education component to it, but it's like July 4th, right? We celebrate July 4th. And by the way, I've seen the studies. These were done years ago that kids that go to July 4th parades tend to be uh, more limited government, conservative, Republican types of uh, voters when they get older. So take your kids to July 4th parades. And by the way, I've got some personal experience. The Oakboro Parade, downtown Oakboro, is a great time. It's hot, but it is a great time. A lot of fun, lots of tractors. It's great. Lots of trucks. They got music. It doesn't matter. It's a great and huge parade on July 4th. I don't know also if one causes the other. I don't know if... Uh, Going to the parade on July 4th, if that makes you a conservative or Republican when you get older, or if it's because you and your family are already predisposed to that because you're going to the parade, right? The parade is sort of a symptom. It's an example of the politics. It's a reflection of that, that, which already exists. That's possible, too. So I don't know. I'm just telling you what the study showed, that the kids that go to the parades end up being conservative, Republican, limited government people when they get older. So just a heads up. Um, The Halifax Resolves were the culmination of a whole year of discussions. It was occurring in conferences uh, at the county level all across uh, the colony, North Carolina, the colony. And the Halifax Resolves were the first official action by a colony that called for severance of ties with Britain and independence for the colonies. That's why North Carolina's tags, first in freedom, that's what this is about. We were the first. First to say, sever the ties with Britain. They were unanimously adopted by the 83 delegates assembled at Halifax, and they were written into the meeting minutes. Now, I recognize, so if you look at the uh, the flag of North Carolina. Uh, there are two dates on there. One of them is from the uh, May 10th, right? The Mech Deck. I will reserve my comments on the Mech Deck because today is not the day for those comments. Today is the day for the comments of the Halifax Resolves. And that's why this date is important is because we were the first ones. They were the first ones. North Carolina was the first to say sever the ties. They, it, these uh, uh, resolves were unanimously adopted by the delegates. Uh, they were written in, uh, written down. And uh, then they sent copies of the resolves to the delegates who were assembled up in Philadelphia for the Second Continental Congress. And they became an important element in the push to draft the Declaration of Independence. You're welcome, America. 
The Halifax resolves were important not only because they were the first official action calling for independence, but also because they were not unilateral recommendations. They were instead recommendations directed to all the colonies and their delegates assembled at the Continental Congress in Philadelphia. Virginia followed with her own recommendations soon after the adoption of the Halifax Resolution. And then eventually, July 4th, the final draft of the Declaration of Independence gets signed. William Hooper, Joseph Hughes, and John Penn were the delegates from North Carolina who signed the Declaration of Independence. Today, at least two copies of the resolves are known to survive, unlike the MECDEC. The copy sent to the Continental... I'm not trying to pick a fight. I'm I'm not trying to pick a fight here. I've done the research, though, okay? And I understand. Look, I just got through talking about... I'm not going to... I'm not going to do that today. Today is the day for the Halifax Resolves. The copy sent to the Continental Congress is held in the collection of the National Archives, and the other is in the collection of the State Archives of North Carolina. Um, this is all, by the way, from the uh, ncpedia.org. Uh, this is the history uh, page for the state, which was taken. Uh, all everything I'm reading comes from the North Carolina Manual. Okay, um, do, 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 do the following as a portion. Okay, should I read it in my old English dialect? I mean, I don't know if I have time to actually consume the OE before I. I all right, I don't have time, so I'm just going to read it as I am. Okay. The select committee taking into consideration the usurpations and violences attempted and committed by the King and Parliament of Britain against America and the further measures to be taken for frustrating the same and for the better defense of this province reported as follow to wit. It appears to your committee that pursuant to the plan concerted by the British Ministry for subjugating America, The King and Parliament of Great Britain have usurped a power over the persons and properties of the people unlimited and uncontrolled and disregarding their humble petitions for peace and liberty and safety. They have made diverse legislative acts denouncing war, famine, and every species of calamity daily employed in destroying the people and committing the most horrid devastations on the country. See, I I just can't help it. I slip into it. That governors in different ships. Oh, sorry. Governors in different colonies. That makes more sense. Yeah. Governors in different colonies have declared protection to slaves who should imbrue their hands in the blood of their masters. That the ships belonging to America are declared prizes of war. And many of them have been violently seized and confiscated. So you could tell. They have a list of grievances. It's like a Festivus litany, you know? 246 years ago, on this day, the Halifax Resolves. Brett Winterbull coming up next. Stick around. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.